Hello, Christ Church, friends and family. It's good to be back with you, although I wish we were face-to-face. This is what we have, and we're trying to get used to that. We've been praying that uh, this would be um, time for the ministry of the Word. And so with that in mind, we're going to go back to 1 John. Over the past month or so, we have taken some time away from 1 John to deal with some uh, timely topics, uh, but it is our practice to go straight through books of the Bible. And so we will return to 1 John chapter 4. But to bring you back uh, up to uh, speed with where we were, I'll remind you that in John's first epistle, he is pastoring the church. He's pastoring us. Speaking to the assurance of salvation that we have in Christ Jesus and encouraging us to live in light of our union in Him him so that we experience the blessing of assurance and growth in Christ likeness. Along with that, we have seen several warnings. And we'll come to another one today as he revisits a topic that we saw in 1 John chapter 2. It deals with spiritual warfare. And while he is not going to cover all of the, the various battlefronts that spiritual warfare can, can take, In 1 John 4, he's going to call us to to wake up to the reality of the battle, to to recognize the threats that come our way in the form of false teachers and, more importantly, the spirit behind them to engage in the conflict. That's where we're going. Let me pray for us as we prepare to look to 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. Lord, as we come to your word, I ask that... Uh, that you would accompany the, the reading and preaching of your word with the mighty presence and power of your spirit. For me as I preach, for all who would hear, that we would know that you are the one speaking. Would you do this, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. I have a cousin, Mark. And possibly owing to his name, he he buys in wholeheartedly to Mark Twain's um, saying that you should never let a little thing like the truth get in the way of a good story. Mark and I grew up together and love him dearly. We shared a lot of adventures in our 
uh, in our years growing up. But most of those adventures would, would have some form of Mark telling some tale trying to get me to buy in. One such uh, story sticks out in my mind now. For the, for the young kids who may be listening, this may seem a little odd, but once upon a time, we actually had telephones in our houses. <laughs> Not the cell phone, but a phone attached to the house. And back in the years when I was in high school, military recruiters would, would often call on the home phone, and they would... Uh, do their sales pitch, and try and recruit you to join the military. This happened from time to time, and we kind of knew the, uh, the tone, the, the pitch, and my cousin Mark called one night, disguised his voice, went through uh, the, 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 the pitch, and, and he had me. I mean, he, he had it nailed until at some point I heard a giggle on the other end of the line and knew it was Mark. You know, I was a pretty trusting kid. I guess I'm a pretty trusting guy now. There's a fine line between being trusting and being gullible. To a certain extent, that's what John is speaking to in 1 John 4. Because it's one thing to discern whether or not a friend is telling us the truth. It's, a, it's another thing entirely to discern whether or not a teacher is telling us the truth. John has been describing for us throughout this epistle uh, who we are in Christ. But here he continues to talk about who we are in Christ. And he tells us that who we are in Christ are, is a we are a faithful people. But the Christian faith is very different from spiritual gullibility. And so John comes out of the gate in chapter 4 telling us, do not believe every spirit. So what does he mean by spirit or, or spirits? I'll offer a little bit of a heads up here that, that in these six verses, John will go back and forth between talking about the singular and the plural. Uh, we'll talk more about that and, and, and why, what, what is he speaking of between the singular and the plural. But here as he opens, he's, he's talking in terms of the plural, test the spirits. As he speaks of the spirits, he's, he's referring here, at least in the beginning, to the false prophets, uh, the false teachers. Now this is nothing new for him and in this letter we've, we've been talking about that earlier in 1 John, but what is new here in 1 John 4 is that he connects the false teachers to the spirit behind them. So if you think about spirits, maybe the best way for us to understand that is referring to the unseen uh, spiritual influences that guide people's speech and their actions. In other words, he's getting us to discern the spirits behind the teachers. As we discern these spirits, it's important for us to understand that sometimes the spirit behind the teacher is a, is a godly influence. But there are times when that spirit has a different origin. So John tells us to test them. He tells us to discern to discern the origin behind the teaching, to hear the teacher 
to ask ourselves, where is this teaching coming from? This is a letter written by the Apostle John. Paul, in his epistles, would also speak of the spirit of discernment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul would speak of the spiritual gift of discernment. And there he talks about testing the message, asking ourselves, is this message from the Lord? We, we hear, and many of us know about the spiritual gift of discernment. Here John is talking about it, and he will in this brief passage, give us some guidance on how to go about testing the spirits. But before we get to that guidance, I'd like to quickly add a word of caution. You know, it's often said that if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything begins to look like a nail. I've talked with many folks, friends, and others who would describe their spiritual gifting as the spiritual gift of discernment. And this is, as we have just heard, a true biblical spiritual gift. But oftentimes I fear that when we speak of the spiritual gift of discernment, what we're really saying is that we have the biblical gift from the Spirit gives us a license to judge. I ask you a question. If you have the spiritual gift of discernment, if that is your understanding of your spiritual gifting, are you looking for nails to hammer? Are you looking for deceit to weed out? It must be done. But as we go about this work of discerning that John points us to here, it's helpful maybe for us to ask a question. What's our primary purpose? Are we searching for error, or are we searching for truth? It may sound nuanced, but there is a drastic difference between the two, because if our primary search is a search for error, we can have a tendency to breed in our church bodies, in our communities, a culture of fear. But... If, on the other hand, our primary search is a search for truth while rightly sifting out error, that primary search is a search for truth. Rather than developing, breeding a culture of fear, we will breed a culture of safety and peace. Beyond the culture that we breed, the warning also goes to this. If we're searching primarily for error, trying to weed out, we have a tendency to spend more time judging and less time receiving the ministry of the Word. Okay, that's the word of caution. Let's go back to our original question. How are we to go about discerning the origin of the teaching we hear? John continues in verses 2 And three, giving us a measure of our testing. There he says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. There's another saying, (laughs) that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I suppose there's some truth 
to that, that we have different understandings of, of beauty, that uh, what, um, what strikes one as beautiful might be different than what would strike another as beautiful. We, we tend to think of beauty and the concept of beauty as being relative. Again, while there may be some truth to that, oftentimes we will take it one step further and say that it is not beauty that is relative, but truth itself that is relative. It can be tempting to measure the validity, the, uh, the honesty, the truth of a spirit or of a teaching by whether or not that teaching is affirming me, whether or not it's affirming my desires, my lifestyle, my, my choices. When we do that, when we judge the, the truth of a teaching by whether or not it is affirming me, and we do this subconsciously, but when we do it, we're doing the same thing as saying that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We are relativizing truth. And we're already bought in to that teaching because it tells me what I want to hear. But that can't really be the measure of our testing, can it? Because truth, as much as we want to think it may be, truth is not relative. God is the source of all truth. And His Word is true, and in His Word, He gives us a means by which we can test the spirits to see if they are speaking truth. It's important because various teachings have this, this ring of truth. They can sound right, but we need a standard. And John points us to a standard that is outside of ourselves. It is a standard not based on my lifestyle, my choices, my desires but on the person and work of Jesus. Are the spirits leading the teachers affirming the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ? We heard this again in 1 John chapter 2, that the measure of authentic doctrine, the affirmation that a doctrine is Holy Spirit inspired, is that that doctrine, that teaching would affirm the person and work of Jesus. Now, of all the measures of testing to discern the Spirit, why this one? Jesus came in the flesh. He is the eternal Word of God. But in His incarnation, He took on flesh. And that is fundamental to our faith because included in the truth of the person and work of Jesus is the reality of our sin which necessitated His incarnation. That by virtue of our sin, mankind is separated from God and therefore atonement is required to reconcile us. What does this tell us about a teaching that would say that Jesus was a good man? Jesus was a wise moral teacher. Jesus was a sweet personality. 
Yes, all of that. But He was more. He was God incarnate. And any teaching that would either deny or minimize this truth is not from the Spirit of God. Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness and died a substitutionary death. And that truth of His atonement is fundamental to His work, fundamental to His person, and is evidence of the Holy Spirit inspiration of teaching. Because Jesus' identity is completely interwoven with His purpose. And this truth is fundamental to, the te- to our faith and is the measure of our testing. So for you and I, you need to recognize. You need to recognize now in this, um, in this COVID-forced shutdown, we might have more access to the ministry of the Word than ever before. You're probably watching this on the internet and you've seen this teaching offered as one of many teachings. As we consider the teachings that we are to listen to, we need to recognize that some teachers would obstinately, directly deny the person and work of Jesus. But understand also that maybe many more would practically deny the person and work of Jesus by changing His emphasis. I'll give you an example. This week I was leading a virtual Bible study with a group of men and we were looking to John 14, 6 where Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus did not say, I will show you the way. Yet oftentimes in our teaching, teachers will practically deny the person and work of Jesus by practically changing the emphasis of His life and ministry. By focusing on Him as a good example. It's not an outward denial, but it's a practical denial. And we need to tune our ears and our hearts to see it. False teachers that John warned of denied Jesus. But we're speaking here in terms of the plural. Test the spirits. But as John goes through these verses, he would go one step further than what we did in chapter 2. He'd go from the plural to the singular. To the spirit of the Antichrist, to the spirit behind the spirits. The spirit of the Antichrist, singular, is the spirit of Satan. Now why does this matter? Why would John see the need to hone in our focus in 1 John 4? Because we have an enemy. And to fight against our enemy, we must recognize his presence. Our enemy is deceitful even deceiving some of the teachers. He's creative. He's cunning. He's a liar 
a murderer, and he has been from the beginning. And so maybe you hear this, and maybe you wonder to yourself, should I be scared? John goes on. Maybe sensing the fear. And in verse 4, he tells us, Beloved, child, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There's a strength behind our testing. There's this he. But who is the he that John refers to in 1 John? Well, maybe in John's gospel we find some help. In John's gospel in chapter 16, verses 12 through 14, he records Jesus' words where Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says this. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. (coughs) Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. He who is within us is the Spirit of truth. The Helper whom Jesus sent as He ascended into heaven. You and I can test the spirits for truth because we have been given the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, equips us, granting us a Holy Spirit-driven understanding of the Word of God. But more than mere equipping, more than reminding us of our capabilities, John is pointing to he who is within us to remind us of our identity. If we are in Christ, Christ is in us. If we are in Christ, we have been transferred from death to life. If we are in Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God and the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts, leading us into a more full experience of the new life that we have in Christ. Friends, the context of the Christian life is one of warfare, but understand that the context... For that warfare is Christ in me. And this is not a fair fight. It's not an even match. The Holy Spirit is greater than the spirit of the devil. And He is our inner strength. And through Him, we have overcome the falsehoods of the spirit of the Antichrist. By the same Spirit of truth, John reminds us once again, as he has been doing throughout his epistle, of who we are because of who is in us. Beginning of this verse 4, he says, Little children, again, pastoring us tenderly, strongly, he says, You are from God and have overcome them. This is a refrain in this letter refrain of our union 
A refrain of our identity. A refrain of our victory through Christ. And He does this over and over again through this letter because we need the reminder. Some of us have forgotten. Some of us, on the other hand, have never really understood the battle. Therefore, we need to listen. I'm guessing at some point over the past month or so, there was a moment for you when the news of the coronavirus hit home. A moment when this was no longer an abstract, media-driven sensation. What was that moment for you? I remember moments when uh, the news began to, to focus. I remember moments when... Um, when basketball tournaments were canceled, when golf tournaments were canceled, when, when sports seasons ended. Those were moments. I remember moments when um, friends who work in the healthcare industry, doctors and nurses, began to tell me of entire floors taken up with coronavirus patients, of seeing firsthand the death from this disease, from this, this infection. Those were moments that, that focused my attention to the, to the battle that was taking place. What was that moment for you? When the point hit home and you were then ready to begin taking action. Let this be a moment where the reality of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error hit home. So for us, let us now begin to think about what will be our points of action. I'd like to offer three brief points in regards to our spiritual warfare. The first deals with the internal battle that we're wrestling with. Friends, discern the Spirit, trying to influence your spirit. I've said it before, what is the loudest voice you hear? What is the loudest voice in your head? What is the the truest truth you are hearing? Where do you hear the struggle? Could it be the voice of doubt? Could it be the voice of accusation? A voice that would try to have you deny the identity of Christ or that would deny the identity of Christ for you. When you hear these voices, either of doubt or of accusation, how do you fight back? How do you discern? Scripture tells us. Tells us to quite simply recognize the strategy of the spirit of the devil. That he would try to get you to doubt either the truth of the faith or your personal identity in Christ. And either way, the spirit of the Antichrist is is denying the person and work of Jesus. Maybe for you, the voice that you hear in this regard is a voice telling you that your sin is too great. That your history of sinfulness would put you beyond the reach of any Savior. That is a voice that would offer a subtle way of denying the effectiveness of Jesus' substitutionary death. 
would say. The spirit of error would lead you to believe that Jesus is enough for others, but not for you. At its core, that is a denial of Christ. On the other hand, maybe for some of us, we hear another voice. And maybe that voice is the voice that rather than saying that your sin is too great, maybe the voice that you hear is that your sin isn't really that great at all. (laughs) That others need Jesus more than you. That too, friends, is a spirit of deceit. Not meant to question the effectiveness of Jesus' atoning death, but rather to question the necessity of it. You're all right. Others need Jesus. You keep doing what you're doing. And if you do, you'll save Jesus the hassle. Either way, the impact of these two voices would have us deny the whole of Scripture, to pick and choose what we want, what we need, and to throw out the rest. Fight back. Fight back with truth. Recognize the lie by its source and then cling to Christ and cling to the entirety of His Word. There is an internal battle, but there is also an external. So discern the spirits that are influencing those whom you're listening to. I've already said it, right now there are many options for us as we Uh, can choose our our favorite teacher on the airwaves. The problem is, there are many false teachers who abound. Some deceive intentionally. Maybe it's to line their own pockets. Maybe it's to wreak havoc among God's people. On the other hand, many of the false teachers, are not teaching falsely out of an intentional heart to wreak havoc, but they are doing so because they themselves are deceived. They are then being used by the deceiver. These, oftentimes, are those who would practically change the focus of Jesus' person and work. Regardless of the intention, of the teacher, discern the Spirit behind them. That's what John is telling us. As a church, we must stand for Jesus in a world that would minimize Him. Again, you've heard me say throughout this sermon, we're treading waters that we first entered in chapter 2. But John repeats it. Maybe to remind us what is at stake. First and foremost, the glory of Jesus Christ. You heard Jesus speak of that in the Gospel of John when He spoke about the the work of the Spirit of truth. The glory of Christ is at stake. But second, the hearts of the next generation. There is a spiritual battle being waged now for the hearts of our offspring. And if we do not stand firmly for truth, the next generation will easily wander off into error. The enemy would deny Christ. and You and I must stand for truth, recognizing His attacks on the person and works of Jesus. We've said, sadly, that oftentimes this false teaching is being lobbed from pulpits which would preach a bloodless spirituality.
But third, I offer this point to help us in the battle. Don't go it alone. We engage in the battle, the spiritual battle together. And so lean on the body of Christ to help tune your ears, your hearts, in terms of their, uh, your understanding, your receptivity of truth, true truth. Tune your skills of discernment. When we try and go it alone, and many of us are wrestling with that now, some of us are longing to be back together, and some of us are trying to set out a new path as an individual. But when we do that, we can easily lose our way and not have a brother or sister in Christ to bring us back. When we are on our own, we don't recognize the spirit of error for what it is. We don't recognize His attacks, and we don't know how to fight back. That's when we see God's wisdom for the body of Christ to recenter us. Recently, I was, I was running one morning. And fortunately, I was running with a friend. We had had a difficult run. We had run some hills. But I got, interestingly, to a point that was an easier point in the run. We were past the hills on a relatively flat spot. And then all of a sudden, I felt this overwhelming sense of exhaustion. Part of the exhaustion was physical, sure, but it was mostly mental. And if I would have been alone, I would have most certainly succumbed to that exhaustion. But I looked beside me, and my friend's presence, without a word, gave me the strength to fight against what I was feeling mentally. I was able to keep going, even without a word. Friends, that is true in our exercise. It is exponentially more true in our walk with Christ. We're not alone in this spiritual battle. You have been given the gift of the body of Christ. You have been given the gift of brothers and sisters in Christ to walk alongside of you, to point you to truth. And that truth impacts both the internal battle that we wrestle with and the external. And in this battle, the words do matter. The words of our brothers and sisters in Christ do matter because they point us to Him. They help us process the voices that we are hearing. So friends, let the body point you to truth. Process the internal voices that you're hearing together. Process the external teaching that you are hearing together. And together, point one another to the word of truth. Whether you are alone or together, don't let the battle take you by surprise. Don't believe every spirit you hear. The spirit of the Antichrist is looking to deceive. So know there is a battle. Know there is an enemy. But lastly, don't live in fear. Our pastor John is reminding us what he has been reminding us throughout this letter. If you are in Christ, 
Christ is in you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. All praise be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we ask for the presence of your Spirit to tune our hearts, to guide us in truth, to strengthen us for the battle, and to preserve us to the end. Bless us, we pray, with your presence. In Christ's name, amen.